Welcome to the Glitching Metal Podcast, where I discuss anything and everything hard rock and heavy metal, new and old. Welcome to the Glistening Metal Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Stockton. Welcome to the actually very first episode of this podcast. We're going to be dealing with discographies, band members, uh, mainly histories and stuff like that of heavy hard rock and heavy metal bands from the last 50, 55-ish years, I guess you would say. Uh, today, we're actually starting from the very beginning where a lot of people say that heavy music really found its own with the very first album from Black Sabbath. Now, everyone and their mother knows Black Sabbath. Even if you don't listen to rock music, you know who Black Sabbath is, mostly because probably you know who Ozzy is and all the shenanigans and stuff he did throughout his career. But what I'm planning on doing here is I'm going to go from album to album. I'm going to try and give a little bit of history on the recording. Uh, hopefully the tour, um, who, who basically who was involved, uh, some tidbits and stuff like that, that I think uh, they, they just make the story even more interesting. And I, uh, oh, by the way, I do apologize. I do say uh, a lot. Hopefully that gets a little bit better. Um, but bear with me. We're here to talk about the music, right? And so, yeah, this podcast, um, like I said, is going to be dealing with each episode is going to be dealing with a specific album from whatever band that I guess is in the roster at the time. So that's why I'm starting with Black Sabbath. I felt like it was an appropriate one to start with. Their history is just so rich. There's so many members. There's so much just events. Not just in the 70s. And I know a lot of people stopped listening to them roughly around when Dio came in. Because, I mean, Ozzy was the man. He Everyone loved him. So when he went solo, everyone kind of fled to that camp. But... The, the Dio crowd still has their fair share. Heck, personally, and I'll get into this many more episodes down the line, the Gillen crowud has their crowd. The, the Hughes crowd even has... That, that era has its own kind of devoted followers. And then you have the Martin crowd, and then it kind of all comes back around. But today, we're starting all the way at the beginning. We're starting with 1970s monolith of an album simply titled black sabbath so a little bit of history let me grab my notes here um basically before this album came out around 67 68 you had tony iomi living in birmingham to uh, playing with multiple bands uh rock and blues bands stuff like that i'll also be pulling some anecdotes from his book uh so, which I have right next to me. So, if I go silent for a second, that just means I'm I'm flipping to wherever I have this uh, anecdote. Um. So, basically, where the real where I feel like the real history of Sabbath kind of starts is where Tony has the accident. 
he had just joined this band, the Birds and the Bees, and they were going to tour Europe. This was kind of going to be his big break. And then he had to go back to work one more day at the Sheet Metal Factory. Of course, the girl working the, the big press that comes down to bend the metal was not there, so he had to work it. Um, like in his book, he says that he was probably in a haze, and that's when the press comes down on the tips of, I believe, his two middle fingers. He basically rips his hand back, rips the tips off his fingers, and is basically like, I, I'll never play guitar again. But because he is he's Tony Iommi, he fashions these fingertips out of, I think it was like leather, um, basically these fingertips so that he could grip the strings on his guitar and also kind of helped with making his bigger sound. Um, he was actually also one of the forefronts of using light gauge strings. I think he was the first everyone he proclaims it in his book. At least he was the first everyone to use, uh, light gauge strings. And I have this interesting kind of little paragraph about how he combined banjo strings with current, with the heavy gauge guitar strings. Uh, this is from his book, Iron Man. He says, I used the two lightest banjo strings as the B and the high E strings on my guitar, which meant I could drop down the gauge on the remaining guitar strings to make them lighter. This way, I managed to get rid of the thick low E string using an A string instead. And that worked for me. Out of necessity, I invented the light gauge strings combining banjo and guitar strings, which I think is insane. I think that's incredible. Uh, it's just one of those cool, even from a musician's aspect, just a cool kind of way that something that a lot of people use today don't even think about, well, where did it come from? Well, that's where it came from. It was a combination of the heavy guitar strings they used at the time combined with banjo strings out of all things. So anyway, he learns kind of how to do a lot of playing around his damaged fingers. Um, eventually he meets up with Bill Ro Bill Ward, the band, the rest um, eventually in a band called mythology. And then this basically comes down to, the band Earth, um, which I think before they were known as like the Polka Toke Blues Band, and this was with Geezer and Ozzy. Now, Tony had known Ozzy, and at first, the famous Ozzy Zig needs a gig thing he saw, and he was like, it can't be the same Ozzy. Of course it was, and at first he was like, hell no, I'm not doing anything with him, but he was reluctant, so he did. So, uh, Tony... Who's the real? Who is the real kind of visionary, driven guitar player? Bill Ward, who I guess was a bit of a. Tony kind of describes him as he was just he smelled. He just never he never cleaned himself up. Um, Ozzy, who's kind of like the jokester kind of weirdish guy, and then you had Geezer, who was one a vegetarian, and also like a total hippie. So there were these total four misfits that I think really created this unique outfit of guys. Um, so, next up, 
they they're they're Earth. They're going around. They're playing shows, slowly gaining traction. Jethro Tull asks Tony to join. Everyone kind of says, "Yeah, you try it," because Jethro Tull at the time were really starting to hit it hard. So Tony comes in. He's not really feeling the vibe. Uh, he's not really feeling Ian Anderson. Kind of how he's got to be the kind of forefront. He's away from his band a lot of the time. Uh, there is footage of the rock and roll or the Rolling Stones rock and roll circus with Tony miming parts that he didn't actually play on. Um, I forget who Jethro Tull's original guitar player is, but he's the one that played those parts. But it's an interesting thing to see if you ever see it. I believe there's some of it is on YouTube with Ian Anderson's kind of uh, uh, commentary over it. Sorry, I had a total brain fart there. Um, so that was kind of cool, but then he comes back to Earth, kind of uses some of Ian Anderson's business methods to kind of get the band really tight. Basically saying, gotta be here at 9am sharp, gotta practice, 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 we gotta make this. Eventually, they changed the name to Black Sabbath, this is right before they go into the studio in 1969 to record their debut. So, they go into the recording studio, October 19th, 1969. Uh, album is produced by Roger Bain. Apparently, he was selected for them. They didn't pick him. Uh, looking back now, I think it was a good choice because the album, it just has such a natural flow to it. With very little, little overdubbing and stuff like that. But we'll get to that when I get into the tracks. Uh, then... The album was recorded at Regent Sound in London, a prolific, kind of prolific recording studio, if I remember correctly. Uh, Tony recorded, originally he was using his white Stratocaster, and if you listen to the song Wicked World, which is the first song they recorded with, and that's, he's using the Stratocaster, it sounds nothing like a Stratocaster because Tony modified it accommodate his his fingers and everything and he rewound it and everything so it sounds nothing like a stratocaster but eventually the pickup went out on it he's like oh shit i need a new guitar he brought an sg with him which obviously started using it and he never stopped he never stopped using the sg that was his his baby and Pretty much, and it's perfect because, you know, the SG, when you see it, you immediately think it's ACDC or Black Sabbath. And the the devil-horned kind of shape around the body, is it's just perfect imagery for them. Um, the album was recorded fairly quickly, I think in two days. Um, it was released on Vertigo Records, classic Vertigo Records, it Many bands I could talk about from that label. Uh, I'll get there one day. But um, at this point, Patrick Meehan is managing the band. Originally, they went to Don Arden, who later would eventually pretty much take the total reins on them. Uh, but Patrick Meehan is just a whole other story. Uh, at first, he seemed like he was doing the right thing. But as we get down the line, you'll realize that he he had a couple different sides to him, but we'll get there. 
So anyway, the band goes out on a European tour. There's not a lot of press for the album. Meehan apparently wouldn't allow it. And they go out on tour and almost immediately come back to record their their follow-up. Now, that's a little bit of history on the album. Obviously, I want to talk more about their touring and stuff, but at this point, it's kind of very quick. Uh, they did a few shows, and I, I don't remember correctly... I, I can't say if they if they peppered in any like songs that they had written for Paranoid yet. I believe they were writing Paranoid as they were on the road, kind of. So it was a very quick process from the first album to the second album. Anyone that hears this that's a huge Sabbath freak will probably correct me on the Instagram page. But hey... I'm just here to talk about the music, um, and I hope you guys enjoy it. So anyway, we get to the album, and it's it, you look at it, and it's like five tracks. Only five tracks? Well, track three and track five are pretty much a mishmash of well-known Black Sabbath uh, uh, songs, Track three, you have Wasp slash Behind the Wall of Sleep slash Basically, which is a bass solo by Geezer, slash NIB, which is a whole other song in and of itself. Now, Behind the Wall of Sleep and NIB, they pretty much play separately live. And then you have, on track five, you have a bit of Finger, Sleeping Village, and Warning, with Warning kind of being the major piece, a kind of dark, grungy blues number. With a lot of guitar soloing, a lot of it just—it's incredible on a on a debut album how already tight this band is. Um, obviously, track one you have Black Sabbath is a song that no one will ever dispute as how to how heavy it is. It's Black Sabbath. It features that devil tritone, you know that um. Which at the time, no one had really ever done or used much, in terms of rock music at least. Um, of course, it follows that slow halfway through, and then the end just picks up, and it's just... It's just drums going crazy, Bill Ward's going crazy, Geezer's just hammering away on the bass, and Tony goes into one of his most well-known solos... And it just ends like da 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 and then you have the fake out end, and then it goes da 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 again. Um, really, just a perfect opener. Next, you have the wizard, which has Ozzy on harmonica, and then you have uh, just a lot of really great riffing in it. It's just such a good song. The lyrics are great. It, it, it just, it really works. Um, you have, of course, I, like I said, track three, which is an amalgamation of a bunch of different tracks. Um, but they all flow amazingly. And, um, unfortunately, if you're listening in your car and you want to hear one of them, it, it kind of, sucks that you can't skip through them 
uh, for a CD freak like me. That's the only thing that's ever really bothered me. Um, but they're all such good songs that you want to listen to them through anyway because they just flow so well. And then you have my favorite song on the album, the super jazzy yet super, super heavy Wicked World. It opens with that that really quick, solid um, hi-hat from Bill Ward. And then that really high kind of riff. Um, this song is where I think they really show their jazzy influences off best because it goes with the... You have the... Um, that whole the whole just instrumental part before the lyrics even come in. It's just crazy. Uh, you have that main riff, obviously, where it's do 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 but then it goes like it's just an interesting time signature that they incorporated into rock music that you could totally hear a jazz band use. Um, take away all the distortion. And you can totally hear, maybe add some horns or something. You can definitely hear a jazz band in that. Um, up next, you have A Bit of Finger slash Sleeping Village slash Warning. Basically, what this whole part amounts to is really just atmosphere and heavy blues. Uh, this is... One of their earliest versions of a song just being completely, you just don't know where it's going to go. It just goes on and on and on, but you don't want it to end. Like, seriously, especially Warning. Warning's just such a classic. The lyrics are totally, they're totally blues, like kind of blues influenced. Um... But it's really Tony that shines on it. And you can really just hear how good... Just It's just crazy how good his soloing is. At this early in the band's career. But this is this is what... When people say Black Sabbath, this is pretty much the album. This and Paranoid, maybe Master of Reality. Uh, most of the time, this is immediately what they think. And I don't blame them. Because it, it is a classic first album. The only problem that I've ever had with it is that I wished it was just a little bit longer, but I mean, there's not one skippable song on it. There really isn't. The only thing that I've ever had an issue with was the title track and uh, The Wizard being so overplayed by FM stations, uh, but after pretty much disowning FM radio after high school... I grew a lot more appreciation for those kinds of songs because when you listen to them in a way where you're not just being like, oh, that song again, you're listening to it in the way of you're listening to the history of how all these songs were came up, these songs they came up with, and you're kind of trying to get in that mindset of how did they come up with this or what what they were thinking when they were going through it. And you kind of gain a new appreciation because you're like, wow, it's actually, it's super good. No matter how many times you've heard it, it's, they created something special here. And you can definitely say that with the first Black Sabbath album. And I'm going to say for a lot of their, a lot more of their albums. But yeah, that's the first Black Sabbath album. It is a, 
monolith to really bring in a new decade of where heavy rock music was going. And just, it, it just crushes. Now, is it my favorite Sabbath release? No. No. Um, it's definitely in the top 10. I will always say it's in the top 10. It's just not one that I always go back to, I think, just because I've heard it so much. But it's groundbreaking, nonetheless. It's an album that I really don't have anything really bad to ever say about. There really isn't much... There isn't much else to say about this album that hasn't already been said by millions and millions of people. But I figured... This is the place, th this is the album, this is the band, this is where we're starting with this. This is where the Sabbath history starts, and they start so solidly, unlike a, a lot of groups do. Um, even if you look at the, what people call the Unholy Three from basically the beginning of modern hard rock and heavy metal, hard rock, rock, I don't know what the hell I'm saying, um... You had Deep Purple, who were kind of like pop rock on their first three albums before they really got it on in rock. And then you had Led Zeppelin, who were definitely more bluesy. They were definitely more on the blues side, whereas Sabbath, they were thinking, what if we took blues, dropped it down, and jazzed it up, added a little bit more flavor to it? And that's why I think this is the most unique out of the three um, debuts, at le or yeah, debuts from those three bands that people say pretty much define rock music as we know it today. Uh, so yeah, that's it. That's the first Black Sabbath album. Uh, like I said, it's it's great. Um. Next up, next week, we're going to look at Paranoid, the second album recorded almost immediately after this. Uh, guys, I really appreciate if you listened to this first episode. I know it, it was kind of rough. This is my first time ever doing a podcast, but I figured time to start. I'd love to talk about music with everybody, and I'd love for some interaction with people. So uh, if you want to get in touch on Instagram, I have a page called Glistening Metal Podcast. You can chime in there, positive comments, negative comments, which you think I could do better, um, all that kind of stuff. But I hope you guys enjoyed, and this is this is hopefully going to be the beginning of a new journey. Hopefully, you guys will join me through it, and uh, keep it heavy. Thanks. <laughs>